from Tom Tech and Lo-Fi Arts. This is Story Hacker with an XR at the end. For more info, visit tomtechblog.com. It's a great echo, isn't it? It's, it's nice, isn't it? It's churchy. <laughs> Hello, welcome to episode five of Story Hacker with an XR at the end. Five already? Yeah. Uh, I'm Chris, and that voice you heard there was James. Hello. How you doing, James? I'm good. I've dragged you to church, Chris. It's about time. I'm very glad you deconsecrated it first before <laughs> making me go in it. I should explain, we're currently sat in a church in Easter Brighton, uh, where I'm producing a non-VR show, an actual piece of theatre, although it's immersive theatre, it plays in the same thing, uh, and you very kindly come up here because I'm not allowed to leave. I was going to say, is a very immersive show. There's no point plugging it because it will be done. Sold out, mate. All gone. It's all yep. sold out, but it's a really excellent production of Dracula, and I'm allowed to say so because I've got nothing to do with it. But uh, it is very immersive. It's eight bamboo sticks covered in gaffer tape. That's what that is, Chris. See, that's it's the magic of theatre. That is proper, brilliant, immersive theatre, and you didn't even need a headset. Don't need a headset, and it doesn't. It kind of chimes with. Uh, it's weird doing. Oh, I'd say it's weird. It's not that weird doing these two different jobs. So one is a very high tech. You know what's happening in this sort of world of VR and how do we tell stories there? And then telling stories here is the same lessons we're learning. It's how do you make an audience part of the action, make everyone hold their breath at the same time. All the same game. Enough about that though, because we're not here to talk about that, are we, Chris? No. This week I have interviewed James's colleague Helen Jewell, programmer at the Old Market in Hove. The Old Market is this podcast's hosting organisation, so technically I was talking to my boss. No, I wasn't. Um, <laughs> it might come across a bit nepotistic, but the sort of point of this podcast is to really find out from a theatre perspective whether all of this stuff and technology and new work and new content and whatever stuff's coming around is at all relevant to us. And we're still asking that question. What's great about your chat with Helen is drilling down as to why that's useful as a venue. So if you work for a venue or anything like that, then hopefully this gives you an insight of why the old market is messing around with all sorts of emerging tech. I do think Helen is perhaps one of the very clearest people we've had on explaining some of that. She's great. So here is my interview in her office with Helen Jewell. How did you first get into being a programmer? Did you come at it from the, an arts point of view or a, a kind of an events point of view? I was just really lucky. I used to work in marketing but I was always a creative, a frustrated creative, um, and I worked in the dirty arena of film marketing, big brand film marketing. Um, and then I started working for Stomp and was a production assistant for them. And Luke and Steve bought this building and it became um, a project that they allowed me to work on. Um, and we worked a bit on the building development and then we opened with no database, um, no history. We were making our own tickets and cutting them out by hand and we've learnt an awful lot along the way. Not just about running a venue but the sort of the ecology of the arts in the UK and how um, small to mid-scale venues must, you know, they struggle, really struggle. We've learnt that the economics of running a venue are not straightforward. And from having no staff to then having a full team, I could then concentrate on a more curatorial role with the programme. 
you've learned in the, by doing it. By doing it's not it. that someone sat down and taught you that the economics are tough. We had lots of very, very intelligent, knowledgeable people sitting down with us saying, um, you need to look at the amount of seats you're going to be able to fit into this space and is it going to work? How long ago was that? So Luke and Steve bought the building in 2010 and we started renovations then, put in a raked seating unit, put in the truss, um, did quite a lot of work to the fabric of the building to turn it into a more professional space. Um, and then we opened our first festival season in May 2011. And yeah, we've just built the programme from there. Amazing, really, because it doesn't seem that's, a, that's still not that long ago. No, so we're seven years in and we've sort of evolved our identity and, and the things that we, we put on um, slowly. But actually, you know, we're still quite young. Are you able to talk a bit about where you feel you're at at the moment? Yeah, of course. So um, I think uh, the fact that we are funded by artists, independent uh, artists, has kind of given us a, a very indie vibe. Um, we are a bit of a melting pot for all arts forms. So the diversity of our programme is a real cornerstone, I think, for, for what we do. I mean, we, we host comedy, live music, theatre, immersive tech, uh, literature. You know, it's, it's a real melting pot for, for all art forms. And through that, um, I think the programme has developed in, in the sort of messy edges our real sort of core identity has come about from a lot of the cross-disciplinary work, the alternative kind of spaces where the arts meet or the tech meets. Um, so yeah, I think that that's really where we're looking to really define our programme. Obviously for the purposes of this conversation, the immersive theatre and the virtual reality is sort of at the core of what this podcast is thinking about. Yeah, um, sure. Locally, you've definitely picked up a reputation in the last two or three years of being really leading the local scene in immersive theatre, storytelling with virtual reality and augmented reality. You've got Tom Tech, you've got the VR Lab. You bring in a lot of big, very technically ambitious shows along those lines. Well, first, what was your first experience of virtual reality in that context? My first experience of virtual reality, um, I guess actually it was Simon's work, um, Circa 69, Simon Wilkinson. Um, his was probably the first VR kind of work that I experienced. Um, and he works in a really kind of quite guerrilla sort of style, which I love. Um, and he's very agile with his work. He creates things quickly. There's always an arc with Simon. His work always has this sort of bigger, bigger arc, but he's able to put chapters together really quickly. Um, and he works with this sort of wonderful transmedia narrative that seems to weave all of his worlds together. Um, so yeah, I was able to dip into his worlds in these kind of quite small chapters of VR. To be completely honest, I'm a complete Luddite and um, a real technophobe. One of the reasons we started Tom Tech was we saw a lot of theatre makers trying to embrace new tech and not doing it particularly well. 
and their work was kind of falling foul of their technology rather than liberating their narrative it was inhibiting it and one of the things that sort of made us want to start this project was trying to scale up the theatre sector a bit better to use those tools to liberate the potential as opposed to kind of hinder them um, and the immersive tech in particular particularly VR we're still so young you know in this in this world but um, I think I feel really strongly that theatre makers and good storytellers need to be exploring these these the potential here because it's so visceral it's so important that they're there you know and there's a diversity of voices and it's not just a gaming platform for more info visit tomtechblog.com so that sounds more like bringing a lot of this kind of work here was a conscious strategy rather than just reacting to enjoying some of it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think there was a real feeling here that we'd seen some incredible shows using technology really well, but we'd also seen some incredible shows that were spoiled by the tech. And I think that was one of the first steps for us in forming Tom Tech. And then came the exploring of some of the immersive VR um, and some of like Simon's work was one of the first but it was a real feeling that we wanted to strategize how new technology could work you know in the theater landscape hasn't it brought with it really a real a sea change in logistics challenges isn't it very different from putting on it's hugely different it's absolutely hugely different and so one of the problems is obviously you know you, you can only get one audience member through uh, VR at, at any time and if you're trying to charge ticket prices for something like this you know it's, it's incredibly difficult and um, the economics of putting a, a virtual reality experience out there incredibly difficult. Are there things you've done to make it feasible and bring people through? How do you solve those problems? Yeah well it's still it's still a big question I think in the industry. We did a project called Habitats last year which was an installation of a number of different virtual reality experiences in a kind of exhibition format um, and we thought it was going to be super easy <laughs> to get the kind of numbers that we got through through oh my goodness it was a learning experience it was a massive learning experience for all of us and our poor front of house staff who are used to putting 300 people in seats had to learn how to process uh, a lot of people on a one-on-one -on -one experience through a very long period of time um, and it was you know it, it was a real stretch it was a real stretch for everybody not least because you can't rush these things because audiences going into something like virtual reality it's a huge leap of faith and you have to trust that you're going to be looked after you know so we had to be very mindful of the fact that our, some of our audiences were trying this for the first time and it was a completely new experience um, so we couldn't rush people through it so you have to you have to really respect the fact that you know you're taking people through a very sort of mindful visceral quite profound experience at times which is funny because the best theatre is also all of those things. Absolutely. But people are still just sat with their, either alone or with their families or friends, 
in a seat and at the end they can get up and go off. There is something different about putting a, a headset and a mask on or travelling around or being guided through a thing. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, there's a massive difference and I don't think we've cracked it yet in terms of, you know, it's a whole new way of telling a story. Telling a story in 360 is, is a really difficult thing to do because your subject isn't restrained in the same way. You as an audience member are free to explore. So you have to come up with narratives that contain your audience member and allow them to see the things you want them to see to tell a potent story. It's an incredibly difficult thing to do and one I think we're still exploring. That seems to work on two fronts. So it's incredibly challenging on a creative level to mm. produce a piece of work that is flexible enough, that works that way. Yeah. But then, of course, getting the audience through the experience getting and out the other through. side. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and in a sort of, like in a safe, safe way where at the end they have been looked after. Presumably you've taken away a load of learnings for your front of house staff now. Uh, they're, they're all amazing, they're all incredible um, VR experts now and, yeah. and, and have had interactions with audience members that they would never have had if they were en masse, you know, 300 people sitting in an auditorium. But I think giving people space and time to immerse in VR is really important. So yeah, that, that kind of charging a ticket price, getting enough people through to make it economically viable, it's all still a big question um, for, for us. It's a hard thing to do, but we're really keen to keep doing it. We know that audiences don't just want to come in and sit and be a fourth wall anymore. That there's far more appetite for agency within cultural consumption and we want to be part of that kind of experimental process. Uh, are there particular examples of work either that you've put on here or that you've seen that particularly nail that? So the most impressive VR work that I have seen so far has been the work of Macropol, who are a company that are bringing Doom Room to us this year. We went out to Copenhagen to see their new show called Anthropia, which was a series of um, beautiful, beautiful, kind of uh, very sumptuous 360-degree films. But they were tied together by a mini golf course. Oh, wow. So you go into a huge warehouse, which is all mapped, and you, you go onto all these... Um, golf course positions, you pot a ball in VR and it then completely changes the dynamic of the landscape you're in and you're then planted within this beautiful film and there were a number of different uh, holes among the course that you go through. You, you were moving around a real space that was mapped um, and then immersed in these gorgeous films and I just thought that for me was probably the most impressive use it was an hour-long show as well so it's one of the longest pieces I've seen and again you've got that issue of that that's one person having that experience I imagine once they move on to the next hole they can put someone in behind them but yep. still that's your you're creating a constant flow of people rather than just sitting them in a space to watch a film you are yeah and I guess that that poses the question you know how venues like us 
live venues are all about the, the shared experience and how is this relevant? How does VR, you know, why is that a relevant thing for live venues? And I, I just think that technology will and is moving so quickly that we will soon be able to um, share these experiences and be in the same, in the same room together. Um, we're working on a project uh, along those lines at the moment. But. It's only a matter of time, isn't it? it that, is. that would be such an enormous breakthrough for every aspect of culture once you can put two or three people into one or even hundreds of people. Yeah. It, it will make a massive impact. It will make a massive impact. I'm quite a scaredy cat and I have to really trust the maker because I, you know, I don't want to be taken to a place I'm going to feel really uncomfortable. And uh, this is one of the discussions I constantly have with James, is that you have to really trust the people that are taking you to these places to know that, you know, you're going to be all right. And I think some people do have found some aspects of VR upsetting because it's not so easy to just turn off. Does your work place your heart in an opposition to your head in terms of that a big aspect of what you have to do is put bums on seats or sell tickets? Do you put on things you don't particularly like because you know they'll sell tickets? And do you often have that battle of, I really like this work, but I can't program it? Oh, all the time. Yeah, absolutely. The pro our our programme has to balance um, what we know will sustain and what we really want to support and constantly, you know, that's that's a battle. We we have to think about really dull things like are the marketing assets going to connect? Do we have the right imagery that's going to sell the show? We know that people can't afford to take a punt on things very often, you know. It's it, and so we have to think about those really really dull aspects of logistics, I guess. So yes, there is that. And how optimistic are you about live art, live performance in general, given we're living in this era of peak TV and gaming is massive and television is massive, people are not going out as much as they were. Yeah, so we're doing a, a big thing at the moment about trying to encourage 16 to 20s, 25 year olds through the doors. We're finding there's a huge generational gap once kids leave home they're not spending their money on coming into live venues. And that's something that, you know, I think nationwide possibly, um, and it is a problem for a lot of theatres. We want to engage those audiences. And if traditional theatre is not doing that, then we need to think about why and, and how we get them through the doors again. I, I think there will always be space for live performance. There's nothing like live performance to kind of affirm our humanity but um, it doesn't you know it doesn't mean that we can't embrace new tech to talk to different audiences and nurture different audiences and diversify our audiences and I think that's that's what we've got to be open to as a, as a theatre we want to embrace all audiences bring them in and introduce them to lots of different experiences yeah so not just necessarily the tech led stuff but not Almost that once you've put them in the room, whether they're walking around it with a headset on or they're sitting watching a stand-up comedian or whatever, exactly bringing them here. Once you've brought them here once, they're much more likely to exactly yeah they're much more likely to to feel like this is a space for them, which is 
what we, we want to be a space for everybody we want people to have to feel at home and, and come and I, I think that's kind of that's what new technology can do it can help to diversify your audiences and it can help us to you know as as theatre makers and performers to use technology better to tell our stories as well I think there's a huge melting pot of of learning to be had there are you optimistic about the future I think everyone who works in the arts knows that venues and artists alike are struggling and I am hopeful I, I know that we need art we all need live performance venues to share experience and I don't think that will ever go, to be honest. But I do think that there is no harm in exploring new technology and immersive tech and using it not only to nurture new audiences but to tell stories in different ways. Yeah, the heart and the head, both at the same time. Yeah, for sure. To be completely honest, there aren't enough people making virtual reality <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah. There isn't enough choice to be as curatorial as you might be with theatre. Um, but that's a whole that's a whole other reason for us sort of doing the Tom Tech project is that we're strategically trying to train performance makers and artists to use Unity and to pick up these tools um, because there isn't enough you know exploration happening and 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 a lot of the exploration that's happening is happening at the gaming level where you won't have the most compelling stories perhaps being told so. We are picking what we think are some of the best examples, but internationally, you know, it's still quite early days, I think. Um, there's a huge conflict in me in terms of how uh, important I think the simplicity of telling a story is, um, and the kind of almost, I have heard it called low-hanging fruit that, that VR presents itself as, you know, this, this kind of faddish, new world but um, I have been won over because I experienced some incredibly powerful things through putting a VR headset on um, so I think I am a healthy skeptic and I would hate for us all to be in headsets and not sharing a live performance together you know I'd hate that to be the future for live venues but I do see I do see the possibilities and I see a hugely important kind of visceral experiences uh, presented by immersive tech and as technology goes you know grows and, and as, as we inhabit that world as storytellers I think the potential is fantastic. That was Chris's interview with Helen Jewell, the programmer at the Old Market. Chris, that was a great interview, really good to hear from, I mean, she's my best buddy and colleague and we sit opposite each other, but it's really nice to hear from that perspective of how those two things fit together. Yeah, she's totally lovely and also really articulate about this whole business that we are investigating, and so it was really useful to get a chance to talk with her. If you are enjoying Story Hacker, please give us a like and a, a nice review and a good score or something. Subscribe. Wherever you're hearing this now, you can subscribe to us and you can also find us. You can also find more information about the podcast and the other stuff we do at Tom Tech at tomtechblog.com. That's tomtechblog.com. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Don't fly.